Welcome back to Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young, as always. And as always, I'll be joined by my co-host, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans pre- and post-game analyst, our Trojansports.com analyst for the 2019 season. And we will dissect every aspect of the Notre Dame game. We have a pretty fun back-and-forth debate on Marquis Step. Yep, we have the Marquis Step discussion coming off his 82-yard performance against the Fighting Irish. We talk about Keaton Slovis. We cover a lot of ground. But first, I want to remind everyone that we have a great promo going right now where you can get a free trial all the way through December 7th. No commitment. You get full premium access to all of our exclusive content, things such as last week when we broke the story that USC will have an opening to reconnect with Reggie Bush as of this coming summer, June 2020. That was an exclusive story on Trojansports.com. It got a lot of buzz, a lot of play. A lot of other sites wrote about it and linked back to us, but no one else had it. We had it exclusively, and we try and bring you great stuff all the time that's exclusive to our subscribers. So go ahead and use the free trial and give us a look. Again, there's no commitment. You can stay on until December 7th, which is through the Pac-12 championship game. Get all of our coverage, recruiting, team, opinions, columns, podcast, our weekly live chat with Max where he gets on the message board on Thursdays and takes all, all of the subscribers' questions. There's a lot to like, which is why we just want to get you in the door. We want you to see it. The free trial, all you got to do, Sign up, use promo code FREEUSC. That's FREEUSC. And if you go to the homepage, trojansports.com, you'll see a banner linking to the promo. You'll see it in every story we post. So it's real easy to figure out how to find it, how to do it. With that, we're going to get into the podcast and have a fun debate here with Max. All right, we're back on Trojan Talk. It's our weekly game breakdown episode and we're going to go in depth on USC's 30-27 loss at Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish moved to number eight in the country after that win. It was a really interesting game. USC fell down 23 early, uh, ends up scoring on all four second half possessions to make it a really close game in the end. Some questionable officiating calls, some big individual performances. We'll dive into all that, but let's just start big picture, general What was your main takeaway from that game, Max? Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot. I think Marquis Step stuck out, which I'm sure we'll uh, we'll 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 touch on him a lot. I think Uh, I was pumped for him to kind of come, yeah, come back and uh, and have some success. Uh, I was thinking what stuck out is kind of what you said right there: the four possessions in the second half. This game really felt like condensed. It felt that uh, I don't know weren't weren't a lot of opportunities in the back end, but. yeah, I think de- uh, tackling and, and run defense or lack thereof, I guess you could say, is another point that stuck out to me. But, uh, yeah, I think a, a bunch of little factors added up to a big, big factor. I think early on in the game, field position and lack thereof of executing on the punt game was something that stuck out to me really early. But, uh, yeah, I think it was a lot of just uh, solid factors that kind of added up to obviously losing a game against uh, an arch rival. Well, I'm going to start here. and. Uh, we'll get into the analysis here in a second, but just in general, I think that there is a, a reflex to see a close score and say, "Wow, USC on the road loses by three points." Uh, they almost had it. You know, uh, several coaches and players said we were a play away. We we were three plays away. This and that. 
I can't totally get there because I just think that what we've seen from this USC team over the last year and a half is that they lose these kind of games. Uh, they're too often the team that is one play away or three plays away. And so I, I don't know that there's much moral victory to attach to it. They dug a huge early hole, had a valiant comeback, but they've just been the team that has a few things go wrong each time. And I, I kind of think it's maybe endemic into what they are at this point. Is that is that fair or is that unfair? I think it's fair. I think the one thing I would add, add, and maybe this is just how every football game is, so you could say this after every game in terms of the whole, like, we're one play away or we're, we're a few plays away. Like, anytime it's a close loss, it's probably just a given. Um, but I, I just watched the, the game again. Or I watched the, the offensive plays again, and there definitely were missed opportunities, uh, some, some missed throws, missed opportunities by – by Keaton and uh, the one in the end zone to Amon Ra, uh, that missed opportunity I think everyone knows, but there's some other stuff that uh, kind of if, if Keaton stays on his progression a little bit longer, that kind of thing, that are other missed opportunities. So from the offensive side, I definitely can see where they're saying, ah, if we had those two or three plays back, that 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 play might result in, in seven. That play may have resulted in better field position, which would have led to a field goal type thing. There's definitely, uh, definitely some elements of that. And then I think – uh, the, 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 the one play that sticks out to me the most is kind of that roughing the passer on EA that was called, obviously a terrible call. I think I, I would not be surprised if the Pac-12 went back this week and said, hey, we messed up on on that call. And that that felt like a turning point in the game. That was kind of the point where you, you kind of internally felt like SC was getting a lot of momentum or was going to get a lot of momentum with that stop that should have been there. And then they did not get that stop. Thanks to the ref's call. Field goal happens. And then that puts the... Put, puts the team in a, in a tough spot because you ultimately lose by a field goal. So I think there's an element of you can say, oh, it, was a, it came down to just a few plays. You probably can say it every week. But uh, that I, I do point to a few plays, and if they had gone a different way, the outcome might may have uh, may have been different. Yeah, no, I don't dispute that at all. Um, I just think it's it's a familiar refrain we hear. But uh, totally. you know, just to put in context what you mentioned, that, that call on EA was, was the biggest – call of the game, biggest moment of the game. USC had gotten it within 2013. It's the very end of the third quarter. It's a third and six. It's an incomplete pass from Notre Dame. You're thinking, okay, they're going to punt. USC is down a score. And they call the roughing the passer. First down, they get the field goal. It's a 10-point game. USC does score again to get back, but they can never never close the gap. I, want, yeah. I, I, want, I was just going to say, there, there's definitely part of me too also like, when you're losing games, obviously there's no excuse. But like, and, and this is a bigger conversation than just this one point. But it, it's funny because I got a when I was in the radio show after the game, I got some callers, and there's an el- about kind of oh, why does Helton say this or say that? There's an element of like, what do you want the man to say? I mean, when you're losing, there's only only so much you can say, and and sure you can try to maybe spin it a different way. Or I know a lot of people push for Helton to be a little bit harder on his guys and 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 not so optimistic. Sure, I, I guess. But uh, I do level with the fact that, I mean, when you're losing, there's only so much you can say. And if his nature is positivity, that even lessens the amount of things he can say from that. So uh, I do kind of add that that one little qualifier. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's just who he is. I mean, he's going to try and turn the page as quickly as possible with his team and, and, and skew forward and skew positive. Here's what's still in front of us. We had someone on the message board actually comment uh, – he looked too happy after that loss, and I would not concur with that at all. That was actually the most fiery I've seen him after a game. I want to say in my year and a half covering the team, I can't 
immediately conjure another moment where he was that visibly flustered and frustrated. Um, I thought he was pretty candid when he talked about the officiating calls, both the one on the EA and then him wanting or asking the refs if he could challenge on the onside kick about Brian Kelly being on the field and saying that, that, that his guys were confused by that and, and, and didn't know if the, play, if the play was going, if it wasn't going because they saw a coach on the field. It, he was more candid on both those than he's ever in talking about officiating calls. So I, I think you definitely saw uh, that loss hit him hard and it was tough for him. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. He, he, he seemed, uh, yeah, d- down to earth. There was no uh, foo-foo happiness at, at all from him. Now, let's, let's kind of start chronologically. I want to start in the first half because after the game, as we talked to the players and coaches, the familiar sentiment, uh, consistent sentiment across the board was missed opportunities and we could have won this game. We had this game just that first half. We just missed so many opportunities in the first half. Graham Harrell said it was, you know, it was one or two guys on every play, just, you know, and that's what happens when you're not all in the sink. In the second half, when everyone's doing their job, you see what we can be. In the first half, USC gets 146 yards and punts on five of its six possessions, settling for a field goal on the other one. After halftime, they come out, they get 280 in the second half, like we mentioned, scoring all four drives. Max, uh, with your quarterback eye, what did you see different aside from just the the Amon Ra play or this or that? Was there a trend or a noticeable difference you saw from the first half to the second half offensively for USC? Yeah, to me the 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 big picture difference I saw, and I noticed it kind of right after the game was just tempo. There seemed to be a bigger sense of urgency tempo wise in the second half. And sometimes when I break down offenses and kind of like, hey, what should we do offensively? I kind of view it from the defensive side and say, hey, if I was a defensive coordinator, what scares me the most? And to me, when this SC team is up-tempo and really rolling, that would put the most fear into me as a defensive coordinator because you're forced to simplify what you can do and then SC has so many weapons that you kind of just get in a rhythm. The other side of that, and the reason why SC is not going tempo is because they view that, hey, they need to have a more calculated play each time that, that it's called because if you don't have a calcul- if, if you don't execute and you do have a dead play or a, uh, a, a, a loss of yardage type play, then that kills your drives. And that's, that's the second aspect. To me, there, there was some good plays in the first half, but there always seemed to be kind of, um, like Graham kind of touched on, like a, a dud play where you're, 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 you're setting yourselves behind the sticks and then SC was never able to uh, – to kind of convert on third down to make it back up. And that's football right there. But that, to me, is the trade-off moving forward. I'd love to see them kind of use tempo more. Uh, to me, that was the biggest difference just because when those guys kind of had that sense of urgency in the second half that, hey, we're going to be in rhythm, we're going to spit the ball out, we're going to have quick runs, we're going to get it up to the line, that, to me, helped this offense. And in pieces, we've kind of seen that all year. When they get going and get rolling, that's when this offense is performing best. Yeah, well, so that brings me to my biggest question. And, you know, I – that was what this offense was supposed to be all the time. That's why we heard Clay Helton saying, oh, 80 plays, 90 plays a game, maybe 100 plays a game in the preseason. And they came out in that first half with JT Daniels against Fresno State, and, and that was that offense. And I just really haven't seen it much since then. What do you think is the biggest reason, you kind of touched on, on some factors there, but the biggest reason why they haven't been that uh, consistent tempo team all the time that we were kind of promised? 
I think the biggest reason is so much. So often you see these air raid teams where they just don't have the ability to consistently run the ball, so their their hand is forced to to go up tempo and pass and like true air raid. Versus this SC offense, they do have the ability to run the ball when they want to. Is that I know that's not the air raid. I know that's not um, kind of what we're used to seeing with a Mike Leach kind of tree offense. Uh, but I think this SC offense, if you're Graham Harrell. You have to say, hey, we do have the, the, the ability to run the ball, so I want to make sure, or this is his mindset, I want to make sure I get the right play every single time. And that right play mentality probably probably slows you up. I'm not saying that's necessarily an excuse. I think they can go up tempo when they want to. I think they should do that. Uh, but to me, that's the trade off right there is I got a young quarterback. I can do a bunch of different things. So with that availability, I want to make sure I get to the right thing and then I think there's probably an element of early on in the games kind of trying to figure out what defenses are doing to them, and that figure-out mode slows them up a little bit. I think that's probably one reason why they were slower in the first and the second, but none of those are excuses. You can go up-tempo if you want, but to me that's kind of the trade-off in the coach's mind and in kind of the why behind what we're seeing. That's all fair, and that's logical. I just uh, It seems like a deviation from what they – they thought they were going to be, um, and 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 Harold did mention he goes one of the big factors after halftime he felt was him as a play caller getting the plays in faster, and in his words not giving the guys time to dwell on the previous play or or think about it. Um, again, yep, totally. And there, there's been there's been yeah I think from the start it's been different. You, you mentioned Clay saying hey we're going to run 80, 90 plays. We haven't seen really that vibe at all. And then the whole line-shifting receivers, we have not seen that at all either. So I think as the year progressed, maybe they, I don't know, changed mindset at all, but I'm with you. It's, you, you can see why it happened, but I don't think that's, that's necessarily an excuse for, for not going up-tempo. Well, let's go to another uh, point that I know is a, is a constant source of frustration for fans, and, and I get it. How many times in the last year and a half have we heard – after the game, the coaches say, well, they did something different defensively than we had seen on film. It, it seems like every game that is not a comfortable win, that narrative, that talking point comes out. And Harold said it after the Notre Dame game. He said they played different than anything they've shown on film. What did you see in the first half that you think might have surprised USC from the way the Fighting Irish defense uh, defended them? Yeah, to me, any anytime you lose a ball game, I think you almost kind of have to take the coach's comments with a grain of salt because they're they're searching for answers sure. themselves, kind of thing. Um, so that, that's the first thing I would say is uh, like they're, they're searching for answers, and when you're at USC, I think teams are going to play you differently than they've played other teams. I think if Notre Dame had gone up against an air raid team beforehand, that that blueprint's probably different than when they're going up against SC. I know for me. Uh, Notre Dame did bring out a different blueprint to the park than we have seen from any other team. That That is the truth. Is it an excuse? No, but that is the truth. They went to more three-double cloud. Notre Dame's deep done that in the past under Brian Kelly. That was always kind of uh, – it's a popular third-down defense because it what it means is you're going to have uh, three safety bodies back deep, who those bodies actually are, whether it's a corner or nickel, whatever. It, it changes, but you're going to have three safety bodies back deep. And then you're still going to have two cloud corners, hence the term three double cloud. And so those are like that. That's that you're allocating a lot of resources to coverage. Uh, That was a common third down defense for Notre Dame in the past when I played there. 
And then obviously they brought it out in a more extensive basis against this USC air raid kind of on more first, second, third down. That's not to mean they – I mean, they still did man and they still did other things, but coverage-wise that was a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think it's probably Graham saying, hey, it probably – that, that I, I did not expect that defense or that was something different, so it's something I can say after the game. But a lot of me kind of – Kind of, kind of feels like in past weeks, SC's kind of had a counterpuncher type type vibe, and I don't really have a problem with that early on in previous weeks. But then that whole counterpuncher mentality, I think now has got to the point where it's really kind of slowed this offense down, and tempo shown to be the best kind of advocate for this offense. So that to me, that's kind of the push and pull right there. Yeah, I, I think again going back to expectations in the preseason, I think we just thought that. They were going to have an identity that they forced upon other teams, and, and they weren't going to be so reactive or dependent on what the defense was was doing. Maybe that was naive, and, and but you know we all have a vision of, of what we thought the air raid is, and and most of those teams don't get taken off their identity so often. Uh, it totally. And the, the the one point I'll add there too is. SC's like uh, the one thing that has stayed consistent in what we thought we were going to get is SC's not running that many different concepts. They're running a lot of fades, a lot of slants, and then a lot of spacing concepts. So like those three buckets are are what I see a lot of versus like a T Martin offense. You're running some 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 pure progression or like that's not I don't want to uh, go there, but like some some over routes and some 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 play action and kind of getting the the passer out of the pocket. You're you're seeing probably more concepts. With this offense, they're not really changing that much in terms of like scheme-wise. So you'd think if that was the case, they'd just kind of be able to say, hey, here's what we got, we're rolling, we're going fast, rather than maybe last year when you have more at your disposal. That's kind of when you're able to slow up and try to get perfect play call in. To me, if you're not running, if you're not mixing up play, call, play calls that much anyways, let's just run what we're doing because it's, it's not changing that much anyways. Yeah, well, on that point, you know, I was a major proponent for this this simple offense. I I just thought it made a lot of sense. Everything I heard, just I said, yeah, that that seems like it's going to really maximize these guys. Let's at least ask the question, and 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 you can answer it better than I can. Is this offense too simple now that we've seen it? I don't think so. No, um, and that kind of leads me into the point I touched on earlier. But there were missed opportunities by Slovis out there, and. Uh, as a true freshman quarterback, if you give me that performance on the road at Notre Dame, I'll take that all day. But if that's a 2015 redshirt senior Cody Kessler performance, uh, I'm not too pumped on that. I think there were, there, there were guys open. There were some, some, uh, some kind of, hey, first option's not there, but your second option is kind of plays. There, there were missed opportunities. So to me, kind of play call-wise and scheming-wise – uh, there's enough plays there to be made for me. It's just a matter of kind of piecing it together. And as Graham said, he didn't point specific guys out, but uh, even if it's – I mentioned Slovis, but there's also some offensive line kind of combination blocks that aren't happening. And, and to me, scheme-wise, it's fine, but guys executing, that's kind of the next step that we got to see. Sure. Well, just last point on this then. Um, I, I get that the, the three-double cloud was different, uh, but it, we – we talked about coming off the Washington game that maybe there's a blueprint out there and teams were going to sell out against the pass. So whether it's dropping eight or whether it's it's the cloud, I mean, should they really be that surprised when they get that kind of look? And and, and why would it take them so much off their game um, when it's just a little nuanced? Yeah, I, I think the answer is 
like the, I don't think it took him off that game that much. I, I think uh, to me that's sure maybe not. A, it wasn't something they expected, but this offense kind of just kind of rolls on. Hey, we're gonna call. We're gonna call. So to me, it's kind of Graham maybe just saying that okay. just because. All right, I got you. I don't know. That, that's just an answer. But to me, it's it's not it's not groundbreaking. And I mentioned three double cl- double cloud. Teams have run variations of that, I guess. I, I should kind of go back a little bit. I think Notre Dame was just moving more guys around back there, so they have guys in certain positions and kind of flop them at the snap kind of thing. Uh, but to me, sh- Graham said it, sure, so like I can't blame us for kind of honing in on it, but to me it's, it's, it's not that groundbreaking enough as a play caller to kind of switch your vibe on. All right, very good. Well, you touched on Keaton Slovis. We're going to go there next. We're, we're, saving, we're saving the uh, very – impassioned animated marquee step discussion for the next segment but let's <laughs> let's stick with Keaton Slovis kind of a quiet first half really comes out blazing after halftime 14 of 18 uh, ends up with 255 overall two touchdowns really kind of keys that second half comeback uh, drops a beautiful touchdown pass in the Amonra beautiful sideline pass to Tyler Vaughn's coming out of this and you, you touched on it you, you said if this was a veteran quarterback you might be more critical but from the limited sample size we have, adding this to the mix now, what did this game tell you about Keaton Slovis? Confirm to you, show you? Was there was there any eye opening element to it for you? Eye opening? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it was awesome to see kind of his fight towards the end of the game, and you kind of saw his grittiness. But to me, that's kind of what I've what I've expected, just mentally here, and kind of what everyone has to say. Um, I kind of touched on it just there a couple minutes ago, but I think there you definitely saw some elements of, hey, this guy's a true freshman and some plays where he may have got off a pro- uh, progression too fast and a, a more veteran quarterback might trust his eyes a little bit more and not jump around a little bit. But to me, like that, that is the downside of starting a true freshman quarterback. He could be in, he could be the best true freshman quarterback we've ever seen, but he's only seen so many reps. He's only been on campus so long. He's only had so many games, especially on the road where it speeds up even more because you got the, the opposing crowd. I, I definitely saw pieces of that. So it, I guess it reminded me that, hey, this kid's human and this kid, we got to kind of at least remember that how young this guy is. But all in all, like I said, I think if that's the performance that Keaton Slovis was going to turn in, I'll take it. Made some big-time throws. And, and that, that uh, touchdown to Amon Ra, even though he missed a, a first touchdown opportunity on a vertical route, that, that second one was an absolute dime. The corner route on that first, progr- on that first uh, yeah, uh, possession was an absolute dime. So definitely bright spots, but definitely elements of, hey, a reminder, uh, this guy's a young guy. Sure. Well, I'll answer my own question. And, and, and for me, it, it just continued to confirm or affirm uh, what I think about his potential, obviously what Graham Harrell thinks about his potential. Um, I'm a big believer, and and I think it showed us that this guy is really poised for his age and, as Graham suggested earlier, earlier in the week, wasn't affected by the environment, uh, didn't seem to feel the pressure of being that early hole, played his best with his back against the wall. So I think it showed me a lot about him. It was definitely closer to the Stanford game than the BYU game, which is where I expected him to fall in this kind of third full game that we got to see from him. So I'm I'm very encouraged moving forward, and uh, he's a major reason why I do believe they can take care of business in the conference the rest of the way. Okay, let's let's do it. Let's let's talk some marquee step. <laughs> and 
We've done it before. I, I saw I saw your I saw your headline, but I didn't read the article. So I know your stance moving into this, but I'm interested <laughs> to see how you lay this. I out. think every, everybody knows my stance, but yes, I, I will I will highlight all the the major points for you. So Marquis Step gets ten carries, uh, eighty two yards, a touchdown. Actually leads the team in carries. Here's my point of contention. I think whenever the coaches are asked about Marquis Step. They they miss the point or the intent of the question. The the point and of all this of the debate of of fans' frustration, it's not a referendum on Vi Malapai and Stephen Carr and saying they can't do this. It's acknowledging what Marquis Step is doing consistently, and it just it seems frustrating to many that the coaches don't see it the same way that many of us do, that every time this guy is allowed off the sideline, he maximizes it. He's twisting and turning and, and shedding tacklers and carrying tacklers and giving every possible yard every time. I mean, there, there was that, uh, obviously the highlight was that 19-yard run, I think it was in the second quarter, where it seemed like everyone on the Notre Dame defense had a hand on him at some point, and he just kept slithering and moving and, and keeping his legs chugging, and... Like that play encapsulates everything that Marquis Step is, and then the final touchdown, the, the two-yard touchdown run at the end to at least give him a chance for the onside kick. I was down on the field by that point. I'm standing on the sideline, and that play should have been dead from the start. He immediately runs into a wall, just kind of slams in sideways to defenders, and you're thinking, okay, that play is over. But no, it just keeps going. He just keeps pushing and uh, gets a little help from his teammates, and they move the whole pile, and he's in the end zone all of a sudden. I don't know how you can watch him do what he did and not say, you know what, maybe if he had 18 carries, could that have made a difference in some of those first-half drives? I think it could have. But I asked Clay Helton that question after the game. I don't think he appreciated it. And his response was to say, well, we have three great backs, and, and we like them all, and role is increasing. It's not. He played the exact same amount as he played against Washington. And, and and the point is, I just don't know what more he has to show to get a chance to really unleash him. And we might see it coming up because as Clay Helton announced Sunday night, Vi is out with knee surgery. He's having knee surgery Tuesday, out indefinitely, just cl- cleaning some stuff up in there. We don't know what the timeline is. So they are down the running back now. That should naturally open up some playing time for Marquis Step, but it shouldn't have had to require an injury to happen. They, they should have already been doing this, is my point. Am I wrong? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, you're, you're, you're spot on. Uh, to me right now, uh, if you had to rank them, I think Marquis Step is the best running back USC has. The thing I'll say, and to start, uh, um, you, you mentioned Vi being out. Vi is one of my favorite teammates, great dude, great locker room guy, great leader. And so I think that Clay – and so Clay Helton's probably – I mean, I feel bad for his injury, but Clay Helton's probably taking a deep breath because this injury will now he, – he'll just be forced to play a uh, marquee step. And so that, that's probably going to be a advantageous move for him. For me, the one thing I'll say is these coaches aren't blind. These coaches are seeing the same thing I'll see – or like that we're, that we're seeing – to me, I think it just, and I'm not defending it, Step is the best back, but I just know how these locker rooms work, and there's probably an element of them wanting to keep kind of, there's probably a culture element to it where, hey, what kind of message does it send if you do give Step all the carries? And the message it is, hey, we're playing the best guy, the best guy gets the ball, cool, I'm with that, I'm all for that. But Helton's obviously viewing it through a lens of, 
hey, two months ago, Stephen Carr was about to be one of the most electrifying players in the conference through a lens of, hey, Vi's kind of our rock back there in terms of leader, in terms of kind of what we got going on in the offense, does more in the pass protection or pass protection, pass catching. We are an air raid offense. So if that's the case, then he should be getting more throws. The counter to that is, well, Max are not throwing to the backs anyways. I'm right with you. I'm not saying I agree with the, the, the move. Marquis Stepp has given the most production. I think Notre Dame, after this Notre Dame game, I'm saying, hey, like, yep, he's, if he, he's the best back as he has. He deserves more, uh, more carries. But the why behind how is this happening, I think it's definitely a, a culture balance in terms of Helton saying, I have a whole running back room to manage. Right now it's the easiest, the easiest way, and I'm not saying it's right, but the easiest way is to maybe say, hey, the youngster has to wait his turn. And that's probably the lens he's looking at through. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you that he is. I just think it's the absolute wrong lens to be looking through. I mean, this guy is coaching for his job and should be playing the best players on every snap. And if I'm in that locker room and I want to maximize my season, I want the best players playing next to me. And, and that's one of the biggest criticisms that has followed Clay Helton through his tenure here is favoritism, not, not always uh, – adjusting quickly and, and, and making changes. And uh, we saw it all last season with Toa Lobodon and, and his snapping issues that eventually cost them a game at Cal and, and kept them out of a bowl. Like, at a certain point... To me, to me that is kind of where I differ. I, I agree that Marquis Stepp should get carries, but like the Toa Lobodon... Like, Toa Lobodon, like snaps over your head, that is changing the course of a game. Versus for me, I have zero problem with... I have zero, uh, what, not pro- problems tonight, the right word, zero hesitations when any of those backs are in there. Stephen Carr made some great cuts. And I don't know if, if Marquis Stepp has proven that he's been able to read things and, and do great. But, like, Stephen Carr, I got no problem with there. Like, maybe he could fight a little bit more, like, at, at the end of carries than uh, the Marquis Stepp. But the point I'm trying to make is a, a, miss, a miss snap by Toa Lobo. That changes the course of the game. To me, Whoever's in there running back-wise, I don't know if it changes the course of the game. And you might disagree, but to me, that's where I, that's where I differ in the, in the, who, in the like, kind of where would – or, like, just who's back there, kind of what impact it would make. No, I, I definitely appreciate the, the, the debate and, and dissenting viewpoints. I, obviously, I seem pretty dug in on this, and, but to me, it just seems like, like the coaches are equally dug in and have been a little stubborn, and it's just – just in, in the in the way they and I'm not the only person asking these questions after the game, in, in the way they answer it, it just it, it always seems so dismissive. And in fact, someone else asked Graham Harrell, you know, should Marquis Step have gotten more carries? And he, he kind of laughed it off and said, well, from, from what I saw, he was he was sucking wind down there. He probably had all he could handle. I don't think Step appreciated that comment at yeah. all. We we asked him afterward, like. And and not to stir things up, we just said, you know, Graham said that you were you were pretty winded out there. Was that was that a factor? And he kind of paused and he said, "Yeah, yeah, um, I was often carrying six guys on my back, and and when you do that, you can get winded. Sure, yes, sir. <laughs> so, yeah." Yeah, no. To me, I mean, that that just backs it even more that they're being dismissive just because you you can't say. Oh well, we don't want to disrupt the running back room because we got to make sure that we have like uh, all the leadership like in place. Like you're never saying that because that's just a, is a bad answer. But that's the strategic coaching point they're looking it through. And 
to me, that's just where like another hey, a head head coach answer right there to a question that's obviously not his favorite. Yeah, and so uh, I'll, I'll just kind of tie a bow on it, and, and this is what I wrote in the column. You know, it's in USC's best interest to maximize Marquis' step and to test his limits. Don't assume that he can't handle 15 carries. How about give him 15 or 18, and if he starts to wear down and shows he can't, then adjust. Don't, don't predetermine what you think he can and can't do and, and, and limit him uh, – at the front end when it may not even be an accurate assessment. See what he can do. Keep feeding him. And if he's if he keeps averaging 6.9 yards a carry most every touch, then keep riding him. If it drops off noticeably, okay. Then pull it back. You know what he can do. Take him out. Don't go into a game and, and predetermine that these three guys, you know, obviously buys out now but before, have to have a balanced workload. React based on the game, and if Carr and Vi are killing it, then yeah, even things out and, and make it a three-way thing. But don't go into the game saying this is this is how we're going to do it. Just be more reactive to what you're seeing on the field. And when you see a guy carrying an entire defense on his back, play after play, then maybe it's his night, and maybe he needs more than ten carries in a game. And and, and maybe one of those five punts in the first half isn't a punt, and you get a couple extra first downs, or he springs one. That's where I think it makes a difference because you don't know what could have happened in those opportunities when he was the guy who was making big play after big play. He had two 19-yard runs, a 25-yard run. There's a chance with five more carries, maybe he has a 30-yard run. That changes that, the complexion of that first half. That's just how I see it. Yeah, it's totally fair. I, I just think for, for me, and I, I, I'm not backing Clay Helton on this. I just, I, to me, it's, it's fun to debate, but to me it's not that groundbreaking of a deal because, like, that open field run that Marquise has in the first half where it's him on the safety, Stephen Carr might juke that guy and take it to the house. And so, like, right there, it's like, ooh, well, which guy do you want? So, to me, like, like one of the, 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 the fallback runs, he kind of falls back to the backside. To me, all three of those running backs would have seen that same cut. Marquise step doesn't get touched till he's, like, 16 yards down the field. To me, like, any running back in there would have, would have got that. And you could say, oh, well, Max, like, there's a reason Marquise is doing that because these guys are going to have to like really like fill their gaps and get all that. I'm with that. To me, Marquise Step, he's the best back. I think, uh, but to me, the, the drop off isn't groundbreaking enough to be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But that's just my that's that's my two cents. No, I, I love it. I, I need someone to balance me out here a little bit. So so I love it. Um, and you know, just to clarify, I, I don't think that he should get all the carries or even 30 carries. I just want to see him get like 18. Maybe twenty and and have a a clear lead back role. And again, if the other guys are capitalizing and maximizing, then ex- extend extend their their role in that game. That's fine. Now moving forward, let's turn it forward. We mentioned Vi's out now for an indefinite amount of time. How do you expect the carries to be split this week against Arizona? Yeah, I think this is the perfect excuse to give uh, Marquise twenty carries a game, and he might never look back. Let me, uh, yeah, let me let me be cl- crystal clear. I'm not advocating to not play Marquise Step. I'm just giving you the lens as to why I don't think why that isn't happening, and then kind of the trade off with, uh, with with just kind of hey the the, the drop off between them. But I think this is the perfect excuse to you probably start. I don't even know. Eh. He'll probably start Stephen Carr just because that's kind of like the mo he's done. Right. But now only having two guys, two guys, it's the perfect excuse to just go. Oh, we went with the hot hand, and then Marquis starts rolling, and then two weeks from now, it's 
he's the clear-cut guy, like by far zero questions at all, which, hey, maybe you're saying, Max, it's already the case. Fair enough. But I think managing that room in terms of the three personalities and kind of the track record that both a Steven and a Vi have, to me, that's the biggest issue right here, right, or the biggest issue that the, the SC coaching staff is having to juggle with. Now with Vi being injured, that's not as much of an issue. And I would expect the the dosage that everyone's been wanting from Marquis Step, I expect that they're going to get it this week. And uh, I would not be surprised if we talk a week from now and it's like, oh, why don't we do that all year long? And, and that whole vibe and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that'll that'll happen and, and Marquise is a stud so I'm sure he'll take he'll make the most of it yeah well it, it is really interesting timing for this to come down because last season USC had its best rushing day against Arizona just ran all over them uh, so it's it it's a very conducive situation perhaps for for him to fall into more carries by circumstance That's a great point and, and then really go off and and you're right that that will be the narrative people will be wondering see see why not why not earlier i'll try not be a prisoner of the moment and keep perspective on it if that happens but i i just think uh i think we're in agreement it's pretty clear that he's been impressive and i think we're all eager to see what he can do with a larger share okay let's flip it around let's talk about the usc defense really really up and down interesting game from them that they came out pretty strong there in the first quarter and, and, and you thought that they might have a real impact on this game uh, unfortunately their impact on this game was giving up 308 rushing yards uh, to Notre Dame and, and, and that was that was really what, what drove the fighting Irish and I mean we, we can say a lot of things were the difference overall but it's hard to ignore a team rushing for 300 yards and not say that was a major factor in, in this outcome what was your overall assessment of the USC defense Max? Yeah, to me, I don't know, and I'll have to get your two cents on this, but to me, when I, went, when I looked down and saw they had 300 yards rushing or whatever it was, I, I didn't realize it was that much, which I think kind of shows that they were just kind of going for chunks at a, at a time. But to me, I, I knew they had rushed well, but I didn't think it was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is getting out of hand well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head. It's kind of... Uh, kind of hit or miss you had some some moments where they kind of had uh, energy and that worked worked in their favor and then you had some moments where uh they, they got they got kind of kind of kind of beat up I think one theme we're seeing is the misdirection kind of outside run plays are, are really hurting this team um and I think it's because these guys it feels like they're ingrained so so much to pursue so hard and you that that's one thing you see guys kind of flying around and to me like okay that's good but the the downside of that is i mean that little like toss reverse they had um that's something that we've seen like flavors of that in other games and it torches sc because i think guys get moving so fast so i'd love for them to kind of i don't know stay in their gaps more but to me i mean it just you kind of got worn down. Tackling's another theme that you you see this defense kind of kind of get beat up on, and uh, obviously not a great performance, uh, but uh, a performance that hey, it, it was it was winnable with with kind of kind of what they showed out. Yeah, it it seemed like there were some adjustments made because this is this is how it broke down. Notre Dame went for 196 rushing yards in the first half. Then USC kind of got a grip on it, and that really helped spur the comeback along with the offense's awakening. And then the Irish got 68 rushing yards on their final touchdown drive. So it, it was that, that in-between period was actually pretty solid for the defense. Uh, but overall, for the reasons you mentioned, you know, we talked about 
a blueprint for going against USC offense is to just sell out against the pass and, and, and take that away from them, take the explosives away. Well, the blueprint against this defense is also clear, and it's attack those edges. And I, the way it seemed was that at a certain point, Notre Dame identified that Christian Rector's injured ankle was really hobbling his mobility, and then they just started going after him. That reverse you mentioned uh, was a perfectly designed play that – Isolated their ball carrier against Rector, and he had no chance. He just—he was basically a statue that the guy ran around, and they just kind of kept going after that. And I asked Clay Helton on Sunday night if he was concerned about Rector's mobility. And again, give Christian credit—he's playing through a high ankle sprain. He's been playing through it for weeks, so uh, he's doing his best to tough it out for this team. But it became a major liability in this game where he just could not move on the edge to, to close off those kind of plays that, that were a major factor in that 308 rushing yards. Totally. And that, that reverse, I mean, you'd love for Christian to, to, to make a better play if he can, but to me, there's gotta be more bodies there than that. I mean, it, it, that could have been Drake Jackson with a, who's elite sure. athlete on the edge with great speed. And I think that he's still in trouble. So to me, there's gotta be, another linebacker or safety or someone that kind of recognizes what's going on and, and kind of shoots up and makes a play. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those outside edges, I think one thing that, I, that, that I've noticed is a couple of those. Yeah, I mean, with Greg Johnson, it's great having him there in the nickel spot, and he's able to be there on coverage and be there kind of as a slot receiver. But you forget that, hey, when he's in there, that means that, hey, a Sam linebacker's not in there. And what would a Sam linebacker, a true Sam, be doing? He'd be filling that edge. To me, when I say that, I can envision kind of Sua Cravens. That's something that he made his money on in terms of kind of sneaking by blocks and kind of really making a lot of tackles on the edge. This go-around, we're seeing a Greg Johnson get blocked. We're, we're not seeing that kind of physical play on the outside, which – to me, that's kind of costing it because there's only so much the defensive line can do on, on the, those outside runs. They can pursue more. They can maybe switch up their front a little bit to kind of have outside leverage a little bit. But a lot of the times, to me, that's, 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 a, that's a nickel coming up and making plays. That's corners getting off and making tackles. That's, that's a Hufunga who we've seen make a lot of plays. That's him continuing to do so. And it's also an Isaiah Palomao kind of filling that alley and making plays and a lot of those, it's kind of group effort. There's a reason I'm able to kind of rattle off just about every defensive name. It's a group deal uh, and, and something that obviously SC's got to get better at. Well, that leads me to a question I want to get your take on. And after the game, both Isaiah Polamau and then on Sunday, Clay Helton made the same point. That the way this defense is structured, that because they're an aggressive pursuing defense, uh, that depends on guys being in their gaps and making their plays – if someone gets through that, then it's going to be 15 yards until the next line of defense. Uh, both of them said almost the exact same thing. And that really just put it in perspective for me. I'm thinking, is that really the best style for this defense then? Because you don't, you don't have a team full of sure tacklers. Um, so that seems like you're setting yourself up to, to play to your weaknesses and to, to really expose your vulnerabilities, which is tackling. If all a team has to do is get – is have one guy out of position or get through one tackle, and then they're going to attack another 10 yards onto that play. What what are your thoughts on on that? And and do you think maybe USC's just not playing a scheme suited to its personnel? I think two things jump out at me. I think 
one, when you have SC's athletes, I think that's probably why the Clancy scheme uh, appears to be advantageous because you're kind of able to do a lot and send a different gu- send guys different ways, and you're able to. I mean, when you do have the athletes like a, a Christian Rector, if he were healthy, and a Drake Jackson, you kind of want those guys to fly around, play in space so on the surface. It kind of makes it, it, it makes sense. I'm with you there, but to me, I just I, I don't know if they are strong enough up front. Uh, to really kind of take that on. I mean, John Houston, to me, I mean, he's not your prototypical middle linebacker. I think he's solid. I I think everyone gets on him for it. I I think he's solid to me. I just, he's played a ton of ball, so you kind of know what you get to expect. So when people kind of get on him, I'm kind of like, all right, well, we kind of knew this was the case. He, he, He feels like an outside linebacker playing inside. And to me, if you had a Cam Smith, and I know Cam Smiths don't grow on trees, but to me, He's the type of guy that might sure up a lot of this because he wouldn't get pushed around uh, by, a, by a double T. He, he wouldn't e- get easily blocked, so that would help. And I think you're also like seeing, I mean, the other inside linebacker, EA, they, they, it seems like over the course of the year, they've kind of tried to simplify things for him where he's just kind of shooting gaps and try to like use his physicality and kind of use the kind of one thought mindset and just go and and try to have him help help out but the downside of that is when he is flying around and just responsible for kind of one specific gap rather than kind of free flowing like your traditional linebacker um that doesn't always play well so to me I, i see where they're going with it uh, but to me, I, I think I point to just kind of – I've touched on all three of those linebackers in terms of EA, John Houston, and then uh, Greg John- or yeah, Greg Johnson when he's in there. To me, a lot of those guys, some of their deficiencies we're seeing firsthand when you do go up against a very physical, very, uh, very physical Notre Dame team, both running back-wise and offensive line-wise. To me, that was not a favorable matchup at all for this, uh, for this USC defense. Yeah, um, uh, we should mention it was a pretty banged up unit too. You had cornerback Elijah Griffin exit the game as his back flared up again. You had Isaac Taylor Stewart come out of the game with a sprained ankle. He eventually returned. You had Greg Johnson leave with a shoulder injury, which led to uh, true freshman Kalana McCalla playing. And, and McCalla's been buried down the depth chart. He, he wasn't the guy we thought we'd see at any point this season. Max Williams was unavailable due to a team rule violation. He'll be back this week. That's why you saw McCullough in there. And and EA also sprained his ankle during that game and played through it. So they, they were a hobbled group, did enough to keep them in the game late. What really killed them was Notre Dame's last touchdown drive. It took seven minutes off the clock and went from 10 minutes, from 10 27 to 3 33 in the fourth quarter and made it a 10 point game and just really took the wind out of the sails of the comeback. Uh, USC would, of course, score to make it a three-point game again. Didn't get the onside kick. But so, like I mentioned, I was down on the field by that point. I just want to kind of relay an anecdote. After that series, I'm kind of standing next to the defensive lineman uh, side of USC sideline. And Chad Kauha, defensive line coach, was just apoplectic over that last series and was just almost he was almost just like saying how could you how could you do that you were out of position just he was just like like yelling at his lineman for having a couple of gap breakdowns and, and he just he just couldn't believe it would happen it's you could tell like you could just tell from his actions like this is everything we talked about all week and in the biggest moment you guys were out of position and we ended up asking Brandon Peely after the game just more about that what was what was he so mad about and and he said we had the right play calls guys just got 
got in the wrong spot a couple times and, and were out of their gaps. And, and that, that drive was really the game sealer for them. And so that, that's, one, that's one perspective on, on, uh, on that from the sideline and just kind of how they reacted in the moment to, to that series. Totally, and uh, I'll have to go back and, and watch it a second time. But I also noticed I think they had a hard time substi- substituting that drive. Um, I think Notre Dame kind of kind of kept rolling and made it tough to kind of get fresh bodies in there, which is another factor. But yeah, to me that it's it's kind of a similar vibe. The 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 missing gaps, and then also kind of letting the uh, the quarterbacks, yes. some of those mobile quarterbacks, kind of kind of brush brush free. To me, those are two totally different plays and results but I think there's an overarching theme in that I feel like the the, the DNA of this defense is everyone's trying to make a big play like every play which there's a positive to that there there's okay that's that's how you kind of change games I guess but the negative of that is if you are out of position or not doing your job that costs you late in the game and I think to me uh, the that that drive that's Notre Dame football right there. The great Notre Dame football teams are able to do that. They're able to say, "Hey, we're bigger than you. We have a physical back. We're just going to wear you down." If you're if you're USC, you'd like to think this defensive line has is stout enough to kind of combat that. And obviously, it's not an excuse. SC should be able to match up against Notre Dame offensive line any year. But to me, that's kind of those dynamics right there kind of came to a head in that last drive, and and and, and it kind of it, it cost SC. Yeah, again, I just think that teams teams know how to attack this defense now. And Notre Dame didn't do it all game, but on that last drive, Ian Book rushed for, I think it was 39 yards on that drive. He had 49 rushing yards overall. And we've seen it all season with the mobile quarterbacks just, just wait a few seconds for that pass rush to over-pursue and then take off, and it's going to be there. This leads me to my next question. I personally don't think this defense can change at this point. I think they are what they are. That's the identity. They have got to make some impact plays, be it turnovers or or three and outs or whatever, to compensate for the fact that they're going to struggle on the edges. And if they face a mobile quarterback, which they do this week at Arizona with Khalil Tate or versus Arizona, then they're they're going to be victimized in that way. It's going to happen because this defense doesn't have any fail safe against that. Once that over pursuit happens, there's there's nothing else to stop that quarterback from picking up easy yards. Totally, and I I would not be surprised if uh, we flash fast forward a week and the defense played very well against Khalil Tate because I know I I know kind of how coaches coach against Khalil Tate only because. I don't think you fear Tate's arm as much as you right. fear Book's arm. And so I think the, the, the vibe was against going against Ian Book and Notre Dame's offense is you have to play him straight up. You better believe going against Khalil Tate, every single GA and assistant coach every single time on third down is going to be yelling, don't let him bring the, break the pocket, don't let him break the pocket, all that stuff, because you know that's what Khalil Tate does. And then you might be saying, well, Max, why didn't you just say that against Ian Book? And to me, the difference there is you just respect Ian Book's arm a little bit more. And you can't have the you, you, you can't just give him all day to throw uh, to kind of sit back there and throw because there is an element of he could pick you apart. And I know Khalil Tate's developed over the years, but I would not be surprised if uh, the SC defense, quote unquote, shocks us this week and plays well against Khalil Tate, just because I think it's going to be front of mind for every single defensive player and coach this week of, all right, third down, here we go. What's he going to try to do? He's going to try to run the ball versus the vibe might be a little bit different than Ian Book, but still there's no excuse. We've seen this story kind of 
time and time again with Tyler Huntley, with Ian Book, with uh, Fresno State's guy. I mean, you're talking about it week in and week out. You'd think uh, something would have changed by now. And if, it, if a change was going to happen, you talk about kind of philosophy and, and, oh, I'm not sure if this defense can change. If a change was going to happen, it, it should have been kind of at the bye week in terms of, hey, let's right. reassess, reassess ourselves. Let's self-evaluate. What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? And to me, that's where the change uh, – would have happened. Well, that's that's the concern because I, I think that they thought the change was happening. Again, we talked to to Chad K last week, and he was really encouraged about how they had really honed in on on the struggles on the edges, and they had made some, made some tweaks to compensate for that, and they had a different plan, and it, and it looked just the same as it's looked. And so I just don't know that I have much confidence that this unit's gonna gonna be any different than what we've seen. Um, uh, and going back to Clay Helton's comments, I think one that definitely uh, got fans rolling their eyes or frustrated was when he talks about one of the differences in this game being fundamentals and and breakdowns, and, you know, assignment discipline. And he was actually asked on Sunday, at this point of the season, how do you change that? And he said, well, we're going to go back and clean it up this week. And, and fans have just heard that so often. We're going to clean it up this week. We're going to clean it up this week. And their whole offseason was devoted to fundamentals and discipline. He made a huge, uh, a huge talking point about that. His go-to phrase was, "I'm going to focus on the, the discipline of the game and not worry about the offense or defense, and just the discipline of the game." And they weren't, you know, greatly penalized in that game. We talked about obviously the controversial call on EA, but if if he's still lamenting fundamental breakdowns at this point of the season, I just think we're seeing what USC is and is going to be the rest of the way. Yeah, and to me that kind of – when I hear you say that, like I, I can't blame you at all for being frustrated, but I know for me it just kind of goes in one ear out the other just because – like like I just what, – what do you want him to say? I mean this guy's literally – I mean if SC were to lose to Arizona next week, I mean he could be without a job. So like he's not – I mean sure. he's running out of answers. I mean if he had some magical – we got to do this this week. I would have said, why didn't you do that last year? You know, and so to me, it's kind of like, what do you want the dude to say? He's trying to kind of stay positive, and he knows the deal. He he knows that. Hey, you go look at the USC Trojans right now; they're three and three, and if they go three and four, three and four below five hundred, he's his bags are probably packed. So I mean, <laughs> that kind of just goes in one ear out the other for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, well let's let's kind of spin it forward now. We, we talked about again. Uh, Clay making the point to reiterate that now the focus is on the conference season. They do control their own destiny. They hold a tiebreaker in the South over Utah, haven't played the rest of their South opponents yet. So there's no one that can impede them if they take care of business. And certainly, I, I said it last week, I thought he had to have that Notre Dame win to make a compelling case to a new AD. They're now 8-10 and 10 since the start of last season. So I, I don't know that anything can change the fate at this point. But if anything is, it's, it would have to start with, with winning out and winning a Pac-12 championship. So let's go there. Um, what confidence do you have that USC can handle business against the rest of its schedule and put itself in a position to play for a Pac-12 title? Yeah, I, I think I'm fairly optimistic. Uh, I think winning six games in a row, no matter or like five out of six or however you want to word that, is tough for any team any year. But in terms of if you, when you're talking about a three and three football team, the idea of winning out most times is absolutely ludicrous. And to me, it's not ludicrous. I mean, there's definitely an avenue to that. I mean, you talk about Arizona and Colorado. You'd like to think those are those are wins. Oregon's going to be a tough test. But 
I mean, I think it's doable. And then after that, SC, I think, is a better football team than the, the next three opponents, Arizona State, Cal, and UCLA. You could say, well, Max, aren't we better than every team? Sure, but I think at least skill-wise, Washington and Notre Dame, you, you could say those teams are better than us. I mean, I think they have skill. I mean, they have, they've obviously developed their guys, so there's not as big of a gap there for me. Uh, but to me, I think there's definitely, uh, definitely some trap games. I think this first game will, will kind of show us a lot in terms of at or against Arizona is the – because if Arizona kind of gets on SC early and guys start kind of putting their heads down and kind of looking around and saying, here we go again type stuff, then I think the, 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 the trajectory could go one specific way. But if you, do, if you show out against Arizona, get some momentum on your side, I mean, we've seen this team play well uh, – play well at times i think that there's definitely a there's definitely a road and a path to the pac-12 championship am i if i'm a betting man do i put myself there eh, i don't know but for a three and three football team there's definitely a path you touched on two key points that, that i want to go deeper into and, and and one is just the fact of winning six straight games yeah i i think that usc can obviously win all these games um i, I think they could have beaten their Dame in washington i mean they are that talented but this is not a consistent team, and, and that's, that's where my concern would come in. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they beat Oregon, which is kind of perceived as the toughest game left on the schedule. If they beat Oregon and then drop one to Arizona State or to even Colorado on the road. Like I, 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 don't, I don't know that I'm confident or 100% confident any week. Uh, so I think the rest of the way, most likely they're probably – I think they're going to drop one more. I don't know where it's going to be, yeah. and I don't know if that will be too much to overcome based on how things shake out. We'll have to see. But six in a row just seems like a long shot to me, given the fact that we're talking about a team again that is eight and ten since the start of last season. Now, yeah, yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah, the only other point I'll add is is to me when I kind of so you have the six games, and we've kind of all touched on them briefly here, but. I think the team's going to get up for Oregon. I, I, I'm, I'm cool there. I, I think that'll be a, a good game. And then I think Arizona State's getting so many headlines. I actually think SC's going to be – I think SC's going to play a good football game against them. I would expect them to beat Arizona State. Uh, but to me, it's the other ones. Like you said, Colorado on the road. But that, again, that's a Friday night game. You t- I mean, the, the mindset of a Friday night game when the entire country's watching you, I don't think that's a trap game. I think SC will get up for that just because it is a nationally televised, kind of the whole world's watching you. To me, and the UCLA's trash, so I don't think they're losing that game. So to me, I kind of look at this Arizona game coming up and that Cal game in mid, mid-November. mid You talk about that Cal game, that defense is rock solid. So that could be tough. They don't have a quarterback, obviously, but that's a good football team. And then this Arizona team... They were awful against Hawaii early, but we all know kind of we've seen Khalil Tate in the Coliseum firsthand. If to me, this first half upcoming is so big because if Arizona gets some momentum, then guys start finger pointing and saying, screw this, fans start booing maybe. That could put the whole rest of the season down one lane uh, versus if SC kind of goes out with some, some momentum early on, kind of beats up on Arizona. That could, uh, that could get SC on a, on a different path, a more successful one. Yeah, that's what I want to close with. I, I want to get your perspective from someone who's been in these locker rooms, how you think this USC team is feeling this week at 3-3, three and three, how much confidence or buy-in they have to, to Clay Helton and, and his staff, um, and, and just kind of how you've seen these things pivot in different moments from your own experience, just how, how a locker room – in general can kind of sway based on these kind of factors 
Totally. It's a great question. Um, to me, I think there is buy-in. I, I really do. And I, I interviewed Tyler Vaughns after the game, and I love the word he used. He says, we're just anxious. We're just anxious to get out there again. And that's not always a word you hear mid-season because it's like, what are you anxious for? I mean, you, you've been playing ball. But I think, I think this locker room truly believes that, hey, we stubbed our toe against BYU, and then we lost to two good football teams. You could say Washington's good and maybe Notre Dame's real good. And so I think the guys are saying, you know what, we're a good football team. I think they genuinely believe that. I don't think they're just drinking the Kool-Aid. I think they look around and say, damn, I know we're 3-3, three and three, but we got players and we got a schedule looking ahead where we can really make some noise. So I think there is buy-in. Uh, to me, like I was on that 2013 kind of Lane Kiffin team. To me, there was kind of, there was murmurs then of like, man, like, I don't know. I don't know if we got it. I don't know if this system's kind of it. I don't think the team's there yet, but that's kind of why I honed in on this first half of the Arizona game, because I think they're right on the cusp. They're right on the cusp of being down at half and some of those guys in the locker room hearing the boo birds and kind of going one way. So that's why I think this, this first half's crucial, but I think there is buy-in. I think they have not, I don't think guys have jumped, jump ship. I don't think the locker rooms jump ship, but I mean, those guys have Twitter and Instagram feeds too. They're they're uh, they're seeing the headlines, and I think guy guy they're they're right there on the edge where uh, where things could get south in uh, in a hurry. I, I think it's a fair assessment. I I also believe that as of right now, this team's still balled in. Um, I don't the same vibe I got last year, where it just felt like there was a malaise over over the program. I I expect them to play well the rest of this way. Will it be enough? We'll see. But. Uh, I, I like your point about it being right on the on the edge there of kind of deciding where the season's going to go. And we're going to get in fully to that Arizona matchup in the Friday podcast, as we do every week. We do two podcasts a week with Max. Uh, this one, early week, is always looking back on the previous game. The later week one is going deep into the X's nose and what stands out about the matchup. So you'll get all you need to know to prep for USC Arizona in our Friday podcast. This was good. Uh, we had a fun, heated debate on Marquis Step, and uh, I, I always like how you balance me out a little bit. I think, I think there's definitely counterpoints to be made, and uh, it, it's good to have two perspectives on that. The, the one thing I'll say there is you're not wrong, I, and, I'm, and I just was more framing. I think that that's the lens that Hel- Clay's going through. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, we, we don't need to go over it again. But, yeah, no. <laughs> nope, it's, it's, all, it's all been said. And uh, I think at this point it's, it's, like, uh, it's like our current state of politics. Everyone kind of has their belief and, <laughs> and, and their opinion and it's not changing. So. Uh, but, hey, great, great, great podcast, Max. Enjoy it as always, and we'll talk to you in a few days. It was fun. See you guys Thursday. Q&A Thursday if you're listening to this. Uh, Thursday night, it'll be fun. Yes. We had a really good live chat last week on the board. We do it every Thursday. Got to be subscribed uh, to take part. But, again, we have a free promo going. Sign up using the code FREEUSC. FREEUSC. And get a free trial through December 7th. And that will allow you to get on the premium message board and ask Max any questions you want on Thursday in our live chat. All right. Till next time.